Well, it is good to have you here at City First Church. Come on, keep putting your hands together for everyone. It's City First Cape Coral, City First Janesville, City First Dixon and Hardy, God Behind Bars, and City First Anywhere. We love you guys so much. Thank you for joining us today at church. Okay, I need to ask the question, who's going to win, all right? Is it going to be uh, the Chiefs? Let me hear for the Chief fans out there. All right, how many of you say no, it's the 49ers? How many of you say, no, it's the food and the snacks? That's what's winning, right? <laughs> well, it's going to be a good game, and I can't wait. So welcome to Super Bowl Sunday. And actually, you came on a good day because we are in the second week of our series, Strong in Broken Places. And we're talking about the four areas of brokenness in our humanity, in, in, in humanness, you could say. And uh, last week, Kyle kicked us off talking about broken in our relationship with God. Well, today I want to talk about being broken in our relationship with ourselves, all right? The second area of brokenness. I'll make sense of that in a moment. But before I do that, I want to tell you a story about an author by the name of Robert Louis Stevenson. He was born in 1850 in Scotland, and he ended up becoming a world-renowned author when he grew up. As a child, though, he suffered um, a lot of sickness. In fact, they didn't know how to diagnose it back then. They said that he had a weak chest, a weak chest, which meant that he had fevers and coughing and bronchial infections and things like that. But while he was in bed, his nanny actually would read him stories from the Bible from the Old Testament. So would read about the commands of God, would read about stories in the Old Testament, would also read to him catechisms and things like, like you know, Pilgrim's Progress and stuff like that. So he grew up kind of having a working knowledge of spirituality, faith, and the Bible. Well, once he did grow up and become an adult, he lived literally all over the world, and he wrote a bunch of great novels, and, and uh, you know, they all had a little bit of a spiritual overtone because of his upbringing. Now, you may not recognize his name. But I guarantee you, you will recognize at least one of the works that he wrote, and that is he wrote The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now, that was published in 1886. In fact, uh, this book that is up there, um, that's one of the original, um, you know, releases. You could buy it right now online for $6,500, which is cheaper than a Super Bowl ticket. But anyway, um, the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Dr. Jekyll uh, is this individual who is in this tireless wrestling on the inside as he is, has this battle, this war, you could call it, between the two natures inside of his heart. He describes it as there's a good nature that was moral, and then there is the evil nature that wanted pleasure. And, and both of them, the story goes, are in his heart. And he's perplexed and conflicted and actually frustrated over this. In fact, I want to read for you an excerpt out of chapter 10 of Stevenson's book, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And listen to what uh, Mr. Or Dr. Jekyll says, in, you could almost say in his journal entry. It says this, with every day... From both sides of my intelligence, the moral and the intellectual, I thus drew steadily nearer to that truth by who, whose partial discovery I have been doomed to such a dreadful shipwreck. What is this? That man is not truly one, but truly two. 
It was on the moral side and in my own person that I learned to recognize the thorough and primitive duality of man. I saw that of the two natures that contended in the field of my conscience, even if I could rightly be said to be either, it was only because I was radically both. In other words, he was radically both natures. And from an early date, even before the course of my scientific discoveries had begun to suggest the most naked possibility of such a miracle, I had learned to dwell with the pleasure as a beloved daydream on the thought of the separation of these elements. What he's saying there is that he used to daydream. Is there a way to take the good nature and the bad nature and separate them so they are no longer at war within me? If each, I told myself, could be housed in separate identities, life, listen, would be relieved of all that was unbearable. In other words, the war would cease. Dr. Jekyll is stating what many times you and I experience on a daily basis. I'm here to tell you today that you are not one person, you are two. There's a side to us that wants to do good, even if maybe you are not a person of faith. Maybe this is your first time to city first. Maybe you don't profess to, to know Jesus or follow Jesus, but you have inside of you even this desire to maybe help others, to you know, create good in this world, to maybe even be generous. I think all of us want to be helpful and do right things. This is the good nature. But also, we have the other side of the coin that is also equally present. We want to be selfish. We want to do our own thing. We want to sometimes do bad things, things that we know are wrong. I mean, right, if somebody comes up to you and says, here's a line, don't cross it. What do you want to do? Right? Because there's a side of us that, that you know, we are tempted and we will give in to those temptations. It's almost kind of like there's the good angel and then there is the bad angel sitting on our shoulders telling us what to do. We know sometimes to not do things, but we want to do them anyway. And what it really feels like is it feels like there is a war that is raging daily inside of us. You know, when we do good, you know, we, we feel good about it, but then there's always this temptation to do bad. Like we may do good for a little bit, but then we give into the temptation and then we're like, oh man, I screwed up. And then when we do bad, can I be honest with you? Sometimes doing bad feels good at first. Like it's kind of fun. But then after a while, your conscience starts bothering you you start feeling guilty. You, you know that what you did was wrong and, 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 and you know it in your heart of hearts and pretty soon you start feeling this, this feeling of shame. It, it literally is a war. And that is why I'm entitling today's message, World War Me. World War Me. Because all of us are in World War Me. It's that broken relationship we have within ourselves, this duality that's going on between the two natures. And Dr. Jekyll, in this book, he invented a potion, and when he would take this potion, it separated the two natures. And what it did is it created Dr. Jekyll, who was a moral, upright person in his community doing good for society, but then he'd take the potion and he'd turn into Mr. Hyde. And Mr. Hyde was completely separated 
selfish, pleasure-seeking kind of person and wanted to do whatever he wanted and did it and felt no guilt. And so the potion took away the war that was raging inside of Dr. Jekyll. It separated the two natures. But as some of you remember from reading the book or maybe you saw a movie or whatever, after a while, Mr. Hyde, the selfish, pleasure-seeking, no-guilt personality, that personality began to become uncontrollable and would take over to the point where Dr. Jekyll lost complete control and at the end of the book, Dr. Jekyll finally takes his life. I mean, this is, it's kind of an incredible story. In fact, it's categorized as, as horror and the reason why it's horror is because it's unnerving and quite honestly, it hits close to home to every person that reads it. Because we all have these two natures. There isn't a day that the war is not raging inside of you. They battle day and night. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you for Jeremy DeWert where World War Me takes place on a daily basis when I'm driving. My days are pretty full and I'm going from appointment to appointment or traveling or whatever else, and I need to go get from point A to point B, but inevitably, there's always that one driver that is in front of me going five miles an hour under the speed limit or on their phone or whatever, right? Oblivious, oblivious what's going on. And, and I will tell you, nothing brings out Mr. Hyde in Jeremy DeWert like an oblivious bad driver. Can I get an amen and a witness in the house, right? Oh, my gosh. Before I was saved, before I knew Jesus, um, I literally would have full-blown road rage moments. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm talking the one where you get out of the car, I'm cussing people out, I'm telling them they're number one. Right? <laughs> True. And now that I'm saved and I'm a pastor, I only fantasize about doing that, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Jesus, I know you saved me, but this aggressive driver part of me, that still is very unsaved. God, I need salvation there. So what's your Achilles heel? What brings out your Mr. or Mrs. Hyde? What um, selfish, pleasurable things or thing are you tempted to give into often? Because all of us have something. It's a war that's raging inside of you, sometimes daily. Like, I told you about my driving, and it's funny, but honestly, that's a pretty safe testimony. There are much more sinister things happening inside of my heart and in yours, too. If we're going to be really honest to the point of being uncomfortable, there are some dark things that we think, maybe even some dark things that we do. And, and, you know, talking about driving is safe, but, but maybe as I'm talking about driving, you're thinking about something that has much more gravity or weight. The things in my heart, the things in your heart. And I, I I'll tell you, there are some churches and some pastors that on the subject of like good and evil and the battle inside of us, they just have this answer. It's kind of like a, a simple answer. They say, well, just read the Bible and obey it. Okay, <laughs> if it was that easy, then everyone would do it. The Bible is part of the solution. 
But it's a little bit elementary and oversimplistic to just look at somebody and go, well, just read the Bible. Just go ahead and just obey it. And that war will go away. No, it won't. To be honest with you, it takes more than that. And we all have this war that's raging inside of us. And if you have that, which you do, 99% of us do, and the other 1% are lying. So this is the thing. We all have it, okay? You're in good company if you find yourself in World War Me. Because one of the most famous and significant apostles and church leaders in all of history a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul who knew the commands of God or the biblical principles of God more than any of us do, he said even he had a war raging inside of him. And I want to read for you out of the book of Romans, chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. It's a little bit of a longer passage, but I want you to, to live in his words a minute and see if you do not resonate, because I think you will. He said this, and again, this is the Apostle Paul. This is like the church leader of church leaders. He says, I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself after all. I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it obviously becomes, or it's, it becomes obvious that God's commands are necessary. What is he saying there? He's saying the, the commands of God are not bad. Because if I can't govern myself, I need a standard. I need God's commands to guide me. In other words, he's going, I know the Ten Commandments. But then he says this, but I need something more. What does that mean? Well, let me ask you this, okay? Pause on this a minute. The Ten Commandments. Most of us could probably quote at least half of them. Maybe some of us more than half of them, okay? You know what the Ten Commandments are. So let me ask you. Just because you know the Ten Commandments in your head, how is it going when it comes to your sin record? Just because you know them, does that mean that you stopped sinning? Just because it says, thou shalt not covet, does that mean that you never covet? Just because it says, you know, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain, the last time that you slammed your thumb in the car door, how did that go for you? Right? Because just knowing it, like Paul says he knew it. In fact, he was an expert at the commands of God, the Bible says. Just because he knew it, he says, but I need something more than just knowing the commands. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I love this line. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decided to do good, but I really don't do it. I decided not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. Sometimes something has gone wrong, deeply wrong within me, and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly, it's predictable. 
The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. In other words, he's like, I love what we now call the Bible. He didn't call the Bible back in his day. I love the Bible, but just because you love the Bible doesn't mean that you don't sin, is what he's saying. He's like, I love the Bible, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. You're like, I love the Bible, not all of you. I mean, really, that's what he's saying. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expected, they take charge. I tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question, he says? And I love what he goes on to say. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. Isn't that amazing? He's like... I have this war that's raging inside of me, but thank God for Jesus. Here, listen. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. Oh, you and I, we live a life of contradictions. And if you're like, no, I don't, that's a contradiction. (laughs) We all do. Where I want to serve God with all of my heart and mind but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. I am so grateful for the honesty of the Apostle Paul. I really am. Because here's the thing. If Paul didn't write this passage, you and I, our frustration level would be a hundred times worse. Because we would feel like we're the only ones dealing with this war and no one spiritual ever deals with this war. We must not be spiritual. That's what we would think. Here is one of the most spiritual men to ever walk the face of the earth. He was like the leader of leaders in the New Testament outside of Jesus. And guess what? He goes, I got this war going on inside of me. I got Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde warring all the time. So here's a question I have for us today. Are we just meant to tirelessly struggle all the way to heaven with this war raging inside of us? Is this just something that we got to deal with? It's like, hey, listen, you know, for those who are younger, for the next 70 years, 80 years, just war on, struggle well. Well, the answer to that is yes and no. I mean, we're going to battle some things until we die. And then at the same time, there are certain battles that we don't have to engage in. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul is basically saying the commands of God, the things that he knows about the Old Testament at that time, about the Bible, the things that he knows, these are good commands. But what gives him great frustration is that God sets the standard with these commands, and no matter how much Paul is trying to meet that standard, he always fails. So he is super frustrated. He actually is getting angry at the whole thing. In fact, it's kind of like maybe when you were a kid or maybe if you have kids or whatever, and maybe you had a limit on your video game time, all right? And maybe your parents said to you, hey, listen, 30 minutes you can play in my day. It would have been Atari or Nintendo, all right? So, you know, 30 minutes. Well, then the 30-minute timer goes off, and mom or dad goes, okay, you're done, And you, as a kid, you get angry at the rule and you get angry at the rule maker because you want more. And that's what happens in this war because God sets a standard, the Ten Commandments or any of the other commandments that are in the Bible, and there's a standard. And no matter how much in our own effort and energy we're trying to reach that standard, we fall short. And so what do we do? Sometimes we get mad at the rule And sometimes we get mad at the rule maker. 
We feel frustrated. That's what Paul is saying. He's like, I'm frustrated. This whole Dr. Jekyll thing, I'm going to create this potion to no longer deal with the frustration between good and bad. I'll just let good be really good and bad be really bad, and they won't have to intersect at all, and all of a sudden my guilt is gone. See, God's commands, though, they sometimes can create frustration. And uh, I'm going to say this, and you might have to chew on this a little bit, um, but when God's commands and his standards create a little bit of frustration, um, that's okay. And you're like, well, wait a minute, why is that okay? It's okay to realize that you can't reach the standard. Because here's the thing, we many times in our, in our culture we are doing everything we can. I'm talking America right now. We're doing everything we can to eliminate standards and moral high ground so that we can actually feel better about ourselves. So what we're doing is we're saying, I will take the standard and I will lower it because if the bar is low enough, I won't feel bad about myself. So we're desperately trying to do that. We're doing it in all segments of our culture. Lower the standard, get rid of the rules, get rid of the guidelines, because then I can feel really good about myself. But here's the problem with that, is that doesn't work. Like when, when somebody tries to get you to go to the next level of life or to meet a certain standard in our culture, we get triggered and we call them a hater. Or if somebody asks us to live at a other moral standard or higher ground, we feel like we're being shamed. But all of that is actually a response to not wanting to live at that standard. So if we don't want to live at it, we're just going to lower it. Now, obviously, there are haters out there, and obviously, there are people that try to put shame on other people. I'm not trying to say that that is not real, but here's what I am saying. Being called to a standard is not abusive especially if there is such a thing as right and wrong. If there is such a thing as right and wrong, then yes, being called to a standard is not abusive. That's actually healthy. And God's commands call us to a certain standard. But unfortunately, because in our own efforts, we can't reach that standard. We feel bad. Sometimes we get frustrated. And actually, the more that you understand your heart and the more that you see who God really is in his perfection, the more you actually see the shortcomings and the darkness in your own heart. And so what do we do as a culture? We've kind of mitigated that that tension by, by deciding that we as, as people, just in general, humanity in general, we're, we're pretty much inherently good. We're good people. We tell each other that. Now, we ignore history, but we say we're just kind of good. We're good people. It, it's kind of like this. We decide and we rationalize that, you know, kind of there is this line of morality or goodness. Over here, there is like, you know, the devil all right, this is bad, all right? And over here, um, there is God, and this is good, all right? And then we kind of rate ourselves, and we kind of say, well, everybody's kind of inherently good. There's a few outliers. There's a few people that are the exception. You know, y y you have Hitler down here, you know what I mean? Um, you, you might have someone who commits a heinous crime right here. Um, I'm not real sure where to put Green Bay Packer fans on this, to be honest with you. 
Uh, should, should it be this side? Over here? <laughs> but you know what we do? We make ourselves feel better by saying this. Well, you know what? Right here. Here's PJ. Jer is right here. Yeah, I mean, he, he's more good than bad. And there are better days, and then sometimes there's worse days. But we, we actually are good. And, and, and we, we kind of like pacify the tension, the war within us by trying to convince ourselves that pretty much we're good people. But here's the problem. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, very famous verse. He says, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. The word everyone there in the Greek means everyone. Okay? So here's the thing. He's saying everybody's falling short. So this right here is God's standard. It's a category that is this, perfect. God is perfect. And he says, if you are not perfect, then you aren't in this category, and there's only one other category, and it's right here. Perfect, not perfect. One sin, six million sins, all one category. Uh, see, this doesn't make us feel good as Americans, does it? Don't you wish I would have been preaching on something like go after your dreams today or something like that? I mean, no, I'm going to tell you something. There's a tension here we have to feel. And that is on your best day, you're not perfect. And, and you know what? Whether we've committed one little lie or whether we've done some heinous sin, in God's eyes, it's all one category. And here's what Paul is saying. Before he met Jesus, he was in this category. And God has created these standards that are perfect and Paul is going, I strive, and I strive, and I strive, and I'm trying to become perfect, but I fall short. On my best day, I get to there. And so he goes, I'm so frustrated because if I try to live up to God's perfect standard in my own strength, I'm going to struggle my way all the way through life. But ladies and gentlemen, I got good news for you. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to live that way. And what Paul is saying is he found the secret to the success in God and how to be strong in broken places. He found the secret to relieving this frustration and this tension. Paul discovered that he could not live right through his own power, but only through the power of the cross. So the cross is right here. My little art project. Right here. Jesus died on the cross for each and every one of us. He paid the debt for our sin. He paid the penalty that we could not pay. 
And on our best day, we can't reach God's perfect standard. So you know what God did? He sent his perfect son who never sinned to die for our sin. In fact, Jesus took our sin upon him on the cross and died and paid the penalty for all that we have done wrong. And now God, when he sees us, he sees us through the cross, the work of the cross through his son. And he doesn't see all of our faults. He sees perfection because of his perfect son. And so, we now can have a right-standing relationship with God because of Jesus, not because we worked our way into it or we were perfect. You know, religion, there's a difference between religion and relationship. Religion says this. Religion says, you better try harder to be forgiven by God. But a relationship with Jesus says, God already loves you and forgives you through Jesus' work on the cross. Religion says you need to do more. And relationship with Jesus says you can't do anything. Jesus already did it all. Religion says you should feel bad about yourself. Some of you grew up in a church that it was like shame, shame, shame. You had to feel bad about yourself. And you feeling bad about yourself somehow made God feel good about you. That's what you were taught. But religion says you should feel bad about yourself, but a relationship with Jesus says you no longer need to feel bad about yourself because God has given you grace that is amazing, that you don't deserve, that you didn't earn. He gives it to you because he loves you. You understand that? Religion says this, God might save you. Relationship with Jesus says, All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All. Do you hear that? Religion says, you're never going to win this battle. And relationship with Jesus says, the battle has already been won at Calvary and in the empty tomb. I don't know if you feel it or not, but this is weighty. When I'm trying to work my way into right standing with God, I feel burdened, I feel frustrated. There's the war within me. I'm like Dr. Jekyll and I am tormented by that. But when like Paul, I realize, wait a minute, Jesus paid the price for my sin and did what I cannot do to give me what I could not receive on my own. Now all of a sudden, that weight lifts. And this is what Paul says in the very next verse. Now, it's in the next chapter. But remember, this was originally a letter to, to the church of Rome. And so we call it Romans as a book, and we cha- you know, put chapters and verses. At one point, it was just one letter. So it was a written letter, and basically, this is what Paul's next thought is. It says in Romans 8, chapter, uh, Romans 8 verse 1, So now there is no condemnation... Everybody say no condemnation. Ready? One, two, three. No condemnation. See, if you're trying to work your way, there's condemnation. But Paul says there's now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses, in other words, the Ten Commandments, was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. 
And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the, of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follows our sinful nature, but instead follows the spirit. I love this line. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're not controlled by it. You're not controlled by it. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you so that even your body will die someday because of sin. The Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Made right with God. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. Christ's sacrifice makes you right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ, Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, I'm done striving. I'm going to start surrendering to Jesus. I'm done striving, trying to be good enough, trying to be perfect, trying to do everything right. Instead, I'm going to surrender to Jesus, and he will work his holiness inside of me. He'll help me to live a right life by his strength, not by mine, by the guiding of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, not the power of Jeremy DeWert. In fact, this is what I believe. Holiness is not the absence of sin, but is the increasing presence of God in your life. In other words, the more that Jesus is in your life, the less you find yourself doing the things that God doesn't want you to do. The more the Spirit is in charge, the more you have power, the more you realize that God loves you, like he loves you just the way you are, but loves you enough to not keep you the way that you are. He saved you, he forgives you, he accepts you, he has given you power over sin. And when we realize this, we have strength or we are strong in the broken places of our heart that is at war. So as we close, this is, a, this is something that should bring great joy, bring great relief. Like I, in my own life, for years was striving, striving. I gotta be better, and then I'd screw up. In fact, it was like spiritual math was this. I could do a thousand things right plus one thing wrong, and it equaled one thing wrong. That's the way my brain thought. You know, you can do a thousand things right and you screw up that one time and what does the enemy remind you of? That one time. But when you discover that Jesus loves you, forgives you, died for you, that you, in God's eyes, you are now perfect, now all of a sudden you realize you're a new creation in Christ. You start taking on your new identity, not your old identity. You start taking on the life that he wants you to live and empowers you to live rather than the hurts and the habits and the hangups of your past. 
Now, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's slow. But I will tell you, when you change your worldview and your perspective, then instead of looking at this as this war that I might lose, instead you realize that Jesus has already won the war, and now you're living in victory, and you can live the way that he wants you to live. Guess what? You start living that way. So I want to ask you, do you want that kind of victory in your life? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Two thoughts. There's some of us that have been in church forever, and today it is freeing your mind what I'm talking about. Because you've been under guilt and shame and condemnation, and you today are realizing, like Paul, you don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to live with this tension it's this war going on inside of you, but rather, today you realize that Jesus has made you victorious. And though you will still make mistakes from time to time, you are forgiven, and the power of God lives in you so that you can live the life that he wants you to live. Secondly, there are people here that maybe you're here, maybe for the first time, maybe you've been peeking in the window for a little bit, coming a little while, but you've never made Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life. And today, I want to invite you to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life so that your sin will be forgiven and that God will see you as perfect and that he loves you and he cares about you and he no longer holds any of our wrong choices against us. And if you want that, it's not about joining a church today, but rather it's about joining the family of God. So with every head bowed and every eye closed and you say, that's me, I want to give Jesus my life. I want him to become the leader of my life. I believe he died for me, and I need to be forgiven for all my sin. If that's you, just go ahead and raise your hand and put it right back down. Yeah, there are hands up everywhere, I guarantee you, at every location, even God behind bars, Cape Coral, Janesville, City First Anywhere. If you raised your hand, and even if you didn't but you wanted to, I'd like to invite you to recite this prayer after me. And this prayer is basically inviting Jesus to become the leader of your life. And we're gonna all say it together. Let's, let's everybody say it out loud so that no one is saying it by themselves, all right? But realize God is listening to you. If you raise your hand or even if you didn't, let's all say this prayer together. Jesus, I come to you today and I ask for forgiveness for all my sin and all I've done wrong. Come into my heart and be the leader of my life. I believe you died for my sin. Thank you for loving me. Help me to live the life you want me to live. Thank you. You take away guilt and condemnation and shame, and you replace it with acceptance, love, and grace. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give everybody a round of applause.